What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Skies Podcast and channel. I'm your host, Tony Massad. In this week's episode, we have a very, very special guest. We have Mighty Peter Lunton. His mission is to help others find their potential and become the mightiest version of themselves. Pete openly talks about losing both of his parents, suffering periods of depression, business downturn, and burnout. And ultimately, his years spent not stoking fire in the belly. Pete also has his own podcast known as Fire in the Belly. Be sure to check out his content. He also has books that he's written. I'll leave a link to all of those in the description. Pete, it's wonderful to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for, so much for having me on, Tony. It's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure to meet fellow fellow hosts and uh, yeah, get to sort of shoot the breeze as well. Yeah. So, so Pete, uh, please, like, I I want to know what is your story start to finish from the day you were born until this interview right at this moment? Well, there's a lot. It depends where you want to start the story, right? You know, it's uh, like people when people say, who are you? It's like, well, there's a question. Who am I? Um, my So my physical form, if you like, I was uh, born in uh, Bangor, Northern Ireland back in 1979. So I'll, I'll save the listeners uh, the, the, the math question. I'm 43 years old, just to make it easy. Um, still young. Born, still young. Absolutely. You know, it's um, I'm having my midlife opportunity. I'm living my midlife opportunity, you know, so uh, that's what it's all about. But uh, yeah, no, born there, um, sort of fairly s- simple, straightforward family, mother, father, and, and a sister. And really went through, you know, sort of early years as well, like a lot of people, you know, different experiences, different things, lived in different parts of the world. And um, it's great. We moved house about 10 times in eight years. So there's a fair bit of transient. That's just with my father's work and stuff. So, and we ended up back in Northern Ireland. That's sort of more or less where I would say I'm from. But um, I also associate with other different parts of the world as well. And uh, went through secondary school, again, a mixture of where I should be and where others thought I should be. Uh, in that, you know, I probably wasn't properly diagnosed with dyslexia and ADHD at that point. Um, I was mm. diagnosed really properly in the last five years. So um, at that time, it wasn't picked up through school. So, um, but through sort of hard work, tuition, etc., I got into good schools. I sort of followed the line. I did the thing. I, you know, I kept everyone happy. Um, truth be told, I was probably a bit of a fish out of water, but went along with it anyway. Uh, did the standard route. Unfortunately, my mother passed away when I was 17. She, uh, she died of breast cancer and, uh, sorry to hear that. Yeah. Thank you. It's, Mm -hmm. um, you know what, up until recently, I always thought, you know, it's what a loss and, and really focused on the, on the departure of my mother. Now I retrospectively look back and saying, wow, how lucky was I? I had a beautiful mother. I know she loved me unquestionably she you know she was a beautiful person she didn't beat me she didn't do anything crazy you know she was just a really solid person just life dealt a bit of a a difficult hand right you know and it's only recently i've really changed the perspective on that and said well i'm i'm absolutely really grateful for it you know do i wish she was still here of course but you know at the same time i'm i'm you know i'm so lucky that i had her in my life so um you know it's what is it they say it's better to love than to have loved and lost and not to have loved at all, you know? So, um, for that, I'm, I'm super grateful. And, uh, I went on and, and, you know, did a building engineer. So my background is I'm an engineer by trade. That's my, uh, I know it, a lot of people look at it now and go, really, you know, but, wow. uh, that was my trade. That was my thing. Very logical, logical minded, very, you know, I understood it organized. I compensated for the likes of the dyslexia and ADHD. Again, it wasn't properly diagnosed, but I would have worked extra hard. I would have worked extra long, you know, I'd have done that. So, but I always was an overachiever by nature, but the price was that I would do longer hours. I would get up earlier, mm-hmm. push harder than anyone else. And that suited like, cause that was the, that was the done thing, right? You know, you want to, you know, proceed, you, you got to work hard. Yeah. And I did that for quite some time. And uh, I did, about 10 years in, in, in around London and across the UK, working for very large clients and doing some amazing work. A lot of what we call firefighting, you know, big projects that were in trouble and I would be sort of parachuted in to help, which is great. But again, you are, at that point, I was burning the candle at both ends on the middle as well. You know, it was yeah. like, whatever it takes and party hard, work hard, do long hours. Yes, I'll travel to anywhere. I'll stay in any hotel. I'll do anything. 
and it was great. It really was. I mean, my, my career, my salary, everything, you know, rapidly rose and it was wonderful. But, uh, then in 2010, um, a mixture of things happened. My father passed away, uh, again, unfortunately with cancer. Mm. And, um, wow. I took some time off work. My client was a bit sort of surprised and was curious to know when I was coming back to work, even though I was literally in the process of burying my father. And I came back and I realized it was like a weird thing of going, do you know what? I, I'm just a number here. I'm literally just a number. I'm you sorry know, to hear that. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, but it, it's, it's a defining moment, right? And that had to happen. You know, everything happens for a reason. So um, I don't mm. hold it against that client and the other clients that I had. You know, they just, their thing was, you know, sorry about the loss of your father. I know you're busy right now, but when are you back? You know, and it's like, okay. I got back and um, it's, I took about two or three weeks off. I can't remember exactly, but um, I got back and, and suddenly I was sitting in meetings and everyone was sort of, you know, a lot of tension in the room, a lot of high priority stuff and all this. And I just sat here, my, my whole scale had shifted. And I'm like, oh, really? This is high priority? Are you for real? This is, you know, you see this as a major event or a major problem and all the rest. Suddenly I was like, listen, this means nothing to me. Mm. And uh, I knew everything had shifted. And really sort of about six months on from that window of opportunity, I thought never would happen. But the window came that I could actually get out of there. And I thought I was really on this sort of treadmill that I would never get off. And worlds aligned and things happened, which actually allowed yeah. me to, to get out of there. And, um, you know, one of the lasting moments, I, I'll never forget, I was standing in, in Canary Wharf. It's a, it's an investment zone mm. in, in London and, uh, late night. And I was waiting for the tube to come along to take me home. And, uh, just as it was coming down onto the, onto the platform, the announcer came on and said, sorry, folks, the train's going to be a bit late. We have a jumper. And for anyone that's not sure, it's basically someone has jumped in front of the train and unfortunately tried to end their lives. I don't know whether they did or didn't, but oh my as gosh. I came into the platform, all I heard was this audible groan. Just this, you know, this groan across the platform because the inconvenience for people, right? Yeah. And it was at that moment, I was just like going, this, this is not what, something I want to be part of. This, you know, some poor soul has, you know, been in such a position that they kind of figured this is all their only option. And it's all it is, is an inconvenience to everyone else. And it really, at that point, I was saying, listen, there's got to be more. And, you know, it's a mixture, I think, retrospectively, I think it's a mixture of trauma, depression, you know, yeah. shock, you know, my father passing away, everything else. All my value systems was just changing all the time. And, um, yeah, I, I got to come home and um, really sort of recuperate, you know. And uh, I was 2010, I came back. Um, and then I joined a, a friend's business and, and we excelled that business rapidly, uh, just a small local business. And then there was a change in local legislation mm. uh, that literally wiped the, wiped the company out. And, um, you know, so we, we had this massive growth again. And then we saw, you know, over a seven year period, I believe in seven year cycles. And weirdly over a seven year period, we went from, you know, boom to bust and, um, the one thing I've learned to, after the death of two parents, it takes me seven years to get over the death of a parent, you know, and uh, which is a bit of a useless fact now. But I, I say that because I'll never forget it. At the graveside, when, when we were burying my mother, is someone said to me, it's like, this will take you a year to get over. And it's possibly one of the most use, useless things someone's ever said to me. Because after a year, I was sitting there going, I, I kind of should be, I should be healed by now, right? I should feel normal, right? I felt nothing. I was just numb. So, um, so yeah, so, I mean, that really brings up to about five years ago and I got to really sort of dark phase in my life, tail end of depression, but then some amazing going, things going on. I sort of admired my wife. We just bought a new house, kids, everything else. But, you know, I, I was really a turning point and that's when I realized that I had been spent so long trying to be something else for everyone else. And I'd worked so hard at it that actually. I didn't know who I was. I mean, it sounds kind of cliche, right? But, you know, I've been so busy trying to be the hardest worker, trying to be the one getting the promotion, trying to be all these things. And I kind of figured after a while, I was like, I actually don't give a stuff. You know, it's like, yeah. this means nothing to me. I, I could get, get rid of the whole lot and it means nothing. Um, 
stress was catching up, everything. I literally, I sort of woke up and I, I, I lost a tooth where I sort of started grinding my grinding. teeth. Right? Yeah. And I've never done that before in my life. And then suddenly this was all manifesting. I started grinding my teeth and literally had to, had to get my tooth yanked out. And wow. uh, I was just, I'm, it wasn't so much laws. It was just like confusion. It's like, how are other people doing this? Like other people are, you know, infinitely more successful or have more or do more or whatever than me. And it's like, I'm, I'm doing the hours. I'm doing the hard work. It's like, but yet I'm not, I'm not seeing the same results. Like what, what's wrong with my formula? Yeah. So thankfully that led me into this question of going, what, what makes somebody get up and want to take over the world and somebody else wants to get up and, you know, watch TV and do nothing, right? But what's the difference? We're all skin and bone. We're all come in here naked and screaming. We're going to leave the world naked and screaming. Yeah. You know, like, what's the difference? Why do some people get up and take over the world and some people don't? And, and this was just playing over my mind again, again, again. And, and that's kind of where fire in the belly came about is going, what's the difference? What's, what's the recipe? What's the formula here? And that led me on to this sort of inquiry and, and where I was probably about just over three years ago now. And I sat down with a, you know, my brother-in-law and said, listen, you know, this thing called fire in the belly, what do you think it might be? It's, you know, what motivates some people, not others. And we ended up having like a three and a half hour conversation. It's about people's motivations, what motivated him, what was good, what was bad, etc. you know? And I was like, cool, okay, that's, that's cool. I, you know, really mm. learned a lot there. I was thinking, right, we could put this into a book or something. I was diagnosed at that point with dyslexia, so that was the irony theory. The more I wanted to write a book, the more I realized that I was dyslexic and it wasn't really going to happen that way. But I just started asking more and more people, what's your fire in your belly and what's your fire in your belly? And, and um I'll fast forward you to today. We have, you know, the podcast is there. We've we've literally done 550 odd interviews. We've released about 330 episodes. Wow. I have a best-selling book out. We've more on the way. Um, I've done TEDx talks. I've done all these things. And this was all after just following a life of questioning, asking deep questions. I'm, I'm very much one, you know, we have a program called Deep Genius. And it's all about, you know, the power of listening and the power of hearing. Um, you know, that's really what the book was about. The book is almost an introduction of what has happened since we started asking deep questions hmm. and really taking the time to listen, you know, and the book is called Be Heard to Be Rich, Listen to Your Inner Genius. And it's like, I spent so long externalizing it. You know, we would call it the, the male, the ego, whatever, the outer consciousness, the outer you, hmm. whatever way you want to call it. And, and you know, there's, some will go spiritual or whatever, but we we so busy externalizing and pleasing other people, which will then they will thank me or they'll do that. And that's my reward as opposed to going, why don't I just please myself? Then I don't need any external validation to feel good. So um, yeah. that's kind of where I went on to. And I, I've never, like to this day, I've never been in as beautiful a position. Massive contrast. There's times when I'm like totally triggered. The kid, kids do that for me. <laughs> you know, it's the, you can be totally zen out, totally spiritual, and a kid will come in and completely knock you out of your zone. But then on other <laughs> end, we get to have the most beautiful and deep conversations. There's quite often there's tears. It's amazing things. And people go, and do you know what? You know, it's literally life-changing. And uh, for that, I'm, I'm super grateful. You know, it's, it's, mm. it's, it's nothing to do with engineering. You know, there's a lot of spiritual stuff in there. Um, you know, and I'm not talking religion necessarily. It's it's quite often it's whatever people's beliefs are, whatever drives us as a as a human being. And you know, and and I, I look at things really on four levels. I think on the on the conscious level, you know, the, the sort of the egoic version of us, we always say, yeah, I know, and that's the outer knowing. On the conscious level, then is like I think. So anytime mm -hmm. anyone says to us, you know, I think or I know, they're, they're premeditated. You, you have a preconceived idea of what's coming here, right? Whereas when someone says to me, you know, I, you know what I would call subconscious is when you're saying, I, I sense, you know, or, or I have a feeling here. Well, whenever we get to sort of the, the feeling and the sensing words, that to me has slipped into subconscious and also the, the sort of the soul mm -hmm. of who you are. So I love to say to people, you know, is you, what, what, what are you feeling right now? What are you thinking or what are you sensing right now? You know? And, um, it's, I, I ask people and I'll ask you now, it's like, what's, what's the difference between listening and hearing for you? Any thoughts? Yeah. It's, it's deep, right? I mean, it's, 
unfortunately, and there's a lot of people, we say to people, and, and there's a reason we've done 550 interviews and yet 330 of them being released. About mm. 30% of our podcasts don't go live. And a weird thing is, is because people say, listen, I've just told you more than I've told my partner. You can't publish the show because I, I love the conversation and it's been beautiful having it. And But literally my partner, my most intimate and closest person in my life does not know this. And I've just told you. And it's like, what did you do to me? It's like, I listened. I really listened. And I, and I you know, I listened to your words. I picked up on what you said. And yeah. and it's amazing. And, and as humans, I don't think we're getting enough. You know, we've never been had so much social media, news, everything yeah. else there. But yet we've never sort of listened to ourselves as little as we are today. And that, it worries me. You know, it scares yeah. me. And, Statistically, and, and it's, there's no statistics, but I mean, I say to people, how many people do you think in life actually live with fire in their belly, live genuinely live it? Can, can you define what fire in the belly is? I, I can tell you the most common answer. I ask people, you know, if you were to define it, and the most common answer is passion. So it's somebody who's doing what they do for passion. It's not, not for reward, uh, not for, you know, any other thing. And probably, so I, I'm, I'm a property investor. That's a bit of my background. And whenever we're making investment decisions, we'll make it on four criteria. So we'll make it on financial, mental, physical, and spiritual. And whenever it comes to passion, that's the one time when actually it will sort of cross all those almost without, you know, subconsciously knowing it. So it's when people find themselves doing something regardless of whether they're going to get paid. They want to do it, they want to excel, and they want to get better at it voluntarily. They'll find themselves watching a YouTube video at 2 o'clock in the morning. They'll literally light up. They, you know, and I see that with guests. They literally sit forward, and suddenly they're, you know, they're talking with animation. They're talking with excitement, and, they're, mm -hmm. you know, and I know we've hit their fire in the belly because they're using love language. Oh, I love to do this. I love to connect with this. I love to try this. And, yeah, and then we do this, then we do this. And then you go back and say, you know, how's your job? Oh, yeah, my job's all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, how's this? Yeah, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you see it, right? It's their zone of genius. It's their thing. You know, and you're saying, right, because it, it lights them up. And it's, you know, if, if you ever you follow the sort of Japanese philosophy, they talk about ikigai, you know, and it's like, you know, where when you match, you know, what you're, what you, what you're great at, you know, um, you know, what your, your sort of, your thing is, what there is a need for and what you get well paid mm -hmm. for, you match those four things. And then suddenly it's like, that's, that's the thing. You know, if you are of amazing service, then the rewards will come and, and you know, bountiful, you know, returns. And, um, and I've seen that, you know, people, if you're going to work, you're doing your thing, like the people we get on the show and it's like people go and listen, going to work or doing my thing, it excites me. It energizes me. Like literally it sort of gives me, gives me more. Whereas other people going to work is going, God, I can't wait to Friday. I'm so tired. I'm <laughs> You know, I need to rest this weekend because I've had such a draining week. Honestly, yeah. what are you doing? Really, what are you doing? Um, yeah. Scarily, I think probably, I'm going to say roughly maybe 15, 20% of the population, and that's probably being generous, live with fire in their belly. Most other people are just living. They're just passing through. They're ticking the boxes. They're doing the thing. And uh, yeah, I was there. So long answer, I Tony, but I hope, I hope that gives you a bit of background. Yeah, it does. I definitely, definitely agree with that. I have seen just a lot of things under the sun and I just feel like 80% of people, 90% of people are just kind of going through the rotation of things, not really questioning why. Um, and I can personally relate to that because I just feel like, okay, you know, like I, so I, I'll tell you my background. I have a mechanical engineering degree. Um, and wasn't the easiest thing to get. I, I do, I do work in the industry. I, I enjoy my job and it's just like, you know, when I was younger, I just remember like, okay, you know, what, what is it that I want? Uh, questioning, you know, your inner self kind of looking inward. And I feel like just now the external world, um, there's so much focused on the surface level of things that we, we really don't question like the, the depth of, of like, you know, of who we are, what we want. And, um, it's kind of looking inward, that journey looking inward. So I, I have a question for you, Pete. Like uh, you mentioned, like you, you know, you're, I'm, I'm really sorry about your mother and father passing, by the way. Um, 
Thank you. Uh, you mentioned like, you know, you had a change of heart when your when your father passed away, you came back to the meeting and stuff like, like, how did you feel when, you know, you came back and, you know, you were in that meeting, what like made you jump? And also what was that window of opportunity that, that came for you to kind of get off of that never ending treadmill? <sighs> When I went back, I mean, a couple of things that happened, and, and I realized now on reflection that actually a lot of my career was was the connection to my father. My career, my father was a career man, 40 years, more or less one company, solid. That was the way you, you know, that's what you did, right? You, you sort of work your backside off. You gave your life. They gave you a pen at the end or whatever. You got your pension and, you know, you went and did a bit of gardening. You know, and, and so my father was that sort of career. And he was, again, because my mother had passed away as well, you know, sort of man to man, adolescent, I wasn't the easiest. I was a challenging, bit of a challenging kid anyway. Um, so our commonality was my career, you know, so whether it be better job or this is happening, whatever, right? So, but when he passed. Was he an engineer? I, he was an engineer. He was an electrical engineer. Okay. You know, so... Um, it's there, and and I was really what I realized is like I, I kind of the job was like, it was crazy because I, I, as soon as I started to make moves and saying, listen, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna call it a day here. I started getting offered job opportunities and literally two to three times my salary. It was huge. I mean, it wasn't just a ten percent bump. I'm talking literally doubling and tripling my salary. <laughs> and I asked for a crazy and impossible number. And literally to the point is like, they're actually genuinely considering this. And it was crazy, like literally crazy. It's like, but what I was looking for, I was just looking almost someone else to make the decision for me. What I knew is like that job suddenly meant nothing to me. It's like, if, if my dad's not here, you know, there's not enough money in the world that would now pay me for this. You know, these people don't yeah. give a shit about me, you know, and it's like, I'm just a number here. And it yeah. was that, that sort of resetting of values. And, you know, I now see it, you know, a saying is, is, and I say to anyone with depression or, you know, anyone's going through things is quite often, you know, in your darkest hour comes your brightest moment. And it yeah. may not feel like it at the time, but like when you get to the stage, and this is the one thing I found with guests is like, they've gone to really dark places often. And that gives them a phenomenal contrast in life because they're saying, listen, I've been to that place. And I am never going back, you know, and I know for me, it was like going, I, I have this job and it means nothing to me. You know, the money's there, you know, both my parents in their past, I have a, you know, a sister, but she is her life. I have all these things like, who am I? Literally, who am I? And, you know, it's everything around me. I just put into question. And then it's, it's that sort of major itch and you're kind of going, I, I need to find this because, you know, I've never been, you know, achieved so much and yet knew myself so little. And that's the weird contrast. You know, and that's why I, I do love the term. It's like midlife opportunity. Yes, a lot of people call it crisis, but it's like it is an opportunity if you choose it, right? So in your darkest hour, it gives you this amazing opportunity to say, well, listen, all bets are off. You know, suddenly I have the career. Actually, I don't really want the career. Let it go. I have this job or I have this, you know, this house or these friends, etc. And it was just like a major reset and going, right, Clear, 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 clear. And then suddenly then, and that, that this is also a thing with depression as well. It's like, you know, the best way I could describe depression, because I, I didn't recognize it as such, was, you know, I could win the lottery or the, the cat could die, and I would kind of react the same. You know, but just it would just be inconvenient. You know, it's just like just really on an, what I say is like an ECG of life. You know, you have your highs and your lows. I was just flatlining all the time. You know, the highs yeah. weren't that high and the lows weren't that lows. It was just, it was all just, but it was that, you know, that opportunity to break away and suddenly go on, you know, I, I, what, do I, what am I doing the career for? Yeah, I could do another 10 years here and I'm sure I could do phenomenally well, but for what? And frankly, you know, I, I say the number of my business clients, like, you know, the cost and the price is very different to the worth and the value. Yeah. You know, when the income or whatever is not worth it, you know, we talk here about that, you know, the juice is not worth the squeeze. Yes, I can throw myself into it. Yes, I could give you all this time. And yes, I could, you know, get really emotionally involved here. But for what? Yeah. You know? 
And uh, it was at that point, I mean, that, that really massive turning circle for me there, even at that point. Now, it took me several years going through it and questioning and asking and, you know, and still, I mean, I, I love it. You know, now I see it as a positive opportunity, whereas before it was like, what's wrong with me? What's going on? Why yeah. can I not have this? Why can I not have that? Why can't I just stay in this career? And I see, like, there's so many people, I think, and a lot of people have these feelings. And this is almost the curse of okay and good. So many people will stay in their career because, yeah, it's, it's good. It's, it's okay. Safe and secure. Safe and secure. Sort of. And it's a disease, right? Yeah. If it's not that bad, you know, what does it say? If it's not broke, don't fix it. And people go through a whole life. How's your career? Yeah, it's all right. It's good. It's okay. You know, yeah. what, what if you were saying, listen, I, I did 37 and a half years of my life with okay and good. And I said, well, you could kind of plot it on a chart where I'm going. And I was doing well and I've done good things in my life and I have a property portfolio and I've achieved great things. So I was saying I, I, I could pretty much extrapolate forward where I'm going to end up, give or take, you know, do amazing things, blah, blah, blah. But what if I said, I'm going to do new things. I'm going to try new things. It's a bit like, what do you call it? Jim Carrey and the Yes Man. It's a bit like yes. that. Yeah, that's a great movie. It's a great movie. I mean, it's a bit tongue-in-cheek, of course, but at the same time, you're going, I've done 37 and a half years this way. How about I said, what if? Every, you know, I just said, well, I can't do that. Well, what if I tried something different? What if I learned a new skill? What if I read a book? What if I, you know, just what if? What if I tried something? What if I quit the job? What if I wrote a book? What if I did all this? And that curiosity, and I love that. It's like childlike wonderment. What if I just approached everything with childlike wonderment and said, I don't know. Give it a go. Never tried it. Or I had a preconceived idea. Because I genuinely believe people only have a right to an opinion if they've tried it. Yes. Yeah. So that's, there's so many things changed for me, the past of my father. And it's, you know, there's, for a lot of people, and I see it, you know, people say, for a lot of people, their voids are their values. And that's mm -hmm. a huge statement when you break it down. Voids are their values. So the, the reason they do what they do is because they're saying, you know, it's it's going through and they're saying, right, listen, I, you know, I do what I do because it pleases my father or it helps somebody else or it does something, you know, and goes in. So it's it's really deciding and saying, you know, listen, what do you actually want? And I say that because whenever I got to the stage in, in my life and my father had passed, I realized that actually I was holding a lot of my father's values. And suddenly you're saying, well, that, those bets are off. My father's no longer here. I don't need to, to please him or, to, you know, that connection or anything else. So suddenly I'm going, well, if that's not my value, then what the hell is my value? Yeah. And I see it so often with people. They, they get to the stage, you know, and it's common that they've maybe had a really challenging upbringing. They've had maybe, you know, there's been, they've been poor in their upbringing or anything else. Their major drive in life is to be rich, to be abundant and all the rest. And they eventually get that. And then they go, you know, what am I? Who am I? What am I? What's going on? You know? So, so it's, it's that aspect of actually, you know, people don't know who they are and what they are, you know, and going through. So we don't always get that time to sort of find out who we are and, and what we're doing. Does that make sense? Am I making sense yeah. here? Yeah. There's a psychologist. Uh, I, I, the, the listeners have to fact check me, but it was Freud who said this, but uh, live as if you're, you, no, uh, he said, uh, no man can live his fullest life until his father is dead. And then another psychologist came along, Carl Jung, and he said, no man can, uh, that, but that death can, sorry, that death can happen symbolically. And that, there's a book, uh, uh, the way of the superior man and it's, and it states, you know, live as if your father were dead, meaning not actually, you know, if he was dead, but not really having to live up to his expectations. And there's a lot of people for sure where they live up to their parents' expectations, mm. um, which are very difficult, especially if you have kind of more traditional families, um, especially like my, my family, uh, like, you know, I, my fam my mom came from Palestine. It's a very, very difficult background. So, you know, her mindset has always like, she's my mom's always had super high expectations for me. And it's, it, it's pressure, you know, and you're like, you know, I want to do something different. Oh, you're crazy. You're going to quit your job. No, you're, you're out of your mind. You should just stick to your 
career. Just, you know, oh, hey, mom, like, like, I uh, like, what do you think of uh, cryptocurrency? What is this nonsense? Go get your degree. Go, go to school. Go get a job. Stop all this nonsense. Stop thinking outside of the box. So, yeah, I'm with you. Do you, uh, Pete? Do you want to take a minute to like, uh, like you know, uh, you know, deal uh, deal with the with your kid? I saw her there. <laughs> yeah, we're we're good. I would just explain to the listeners. I've, I've three kids in the house here, and <laughs> they don't know what a door is. It's great. I love kids because they will strip you down. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. care how many books you've written, what you've done, or whatever. That's like I need. And one thing I've learned over the last couple of years is actually that. I'm not teaching my kids. My kids are teaching me, you know? So it's that, it's that difference. It's that thing between the two, you know? And so it's, it's, it's learning it, you know, it's learning what's going on and you know, how it is. <laughs> it's, it's a privilege, right? It's a total privilege. Yeah. So. I'm glad you have them. It's a beautiful thing to have a family. Totally. Um, totally. Yeah. yeah I, I'm with you. <clears throat> and one comment that you mentioned is like having that childlike curiosity um, I find, I find this happening to myself too, but it's just like, how can you reincorporate that childlike mentality, curiosity as an adult? <clears throat> because over the years, I feel like it just, it gets beaten out of you to just like, you know, you, you have all these dreams as a kid. Oh, I want to be a fireman, astronaut, blah, blah, blah. And then <clears throat> something happens, you know, throughout the years and you, you know, you get older, you're like, okay, I got to get a job go to school and be part of the matrix as you'd call it. Um, and it's just like, how can you reincorporate that as, as, uh, as an adult? And that's kind of like, I feel like the most intelligent way to do it. Um, yeah. I mean, for me, it's ego, uh, you know, cause ego, mm -hmm. people think ego, you know, they think of, um, you know, sort of, I don't know, a very uh, flamboyant salesman or something else. And they see that as ego, right? But I think ego is like, it's, it's a sort of a, a shadow version of yourself, just in slightly mm -hmm. darker with alternative motives. And for, for a lot of people, it's, you know, we go through, and especially later on in life, it's like, you know, I think or I know. We stop listening. A child says, I don't know. One of the most powerful things you can get to in any stage of your life is saying, I don't know. You know, saying, you know, what would happen if I did this? It's like, I don't know. You could think something, you could, you might say, well, I know that's going to happen. Or I think this is going to happen, right? We stop, we stop being curious. We stop sort of doing all these things because we're afraid of getting hurt or afraid of what someone might say or what someone might see or whatever. When actually, if we can live if, with this mentality of saying, I don't know, what if I tried? What if I tried and it just didn't work out? Well, there you go. That would just confirm what I thought. You know, so knowing and thinking and, and is, is probably one of the biggest blockers because mm -hmm. as you get older, that's the point, right? As an adult, I'm supposed to know things. I'm supposed to think things, especially, you know, when you get to being an, an expert in your field or you're getting to be, you know, sort of brought in as someone is saying, you should know this. What is it they say? You know, it's like the more, the more I know, the more I, I realize I don't know. You know, mm -hmm. the more experience the more sort of deeper a person I know. I mean, I've, I've had things where it's like, literally we've, it's kind of going, I, I can't give you that answer. You know, I don't know enough. And you're going, you're the most, you're the most potentially knowing person in the room. It's like, yeah. I, I know enough to know that I don't know, or I certainly don't know. I, I don't know from your perspective. I don't know your life. I don't know all these things. And taking that stance is, is just beautiful. Mm -hmm. egoically as an adult as whatever we we sort of paid to sort of be knowing or be be there whereas actually as an adult if we just took a stance of saying listen you know i say to people it's like why not if you can be be the most useful person in the room you know, be the person that just listens or just asks the question or says well what if what if you tried something different and that that's game changing that's truly game changing if you you know get to the stage of going listen I don't know, I'm going to sit loose in the saddle here and I'm just going to ask the question. And I've learned more by doing that, more by saying, I don't know. And there's, there's true power there if you choose it. True power. It's phenomenal. It's beautiful. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. <clears throat> there's a, there's a statement. I forgot who said this, but, uh, um, I think there's this, this famous guru online, but he said, you know, when you, when a lot of wars are fought over, I think I know, or I do know, 
in when it comes to religion, whatever. Um, but you know, when you open, when you say, I don't know, you open yourself up to a whole world and, and Socrates, um, one of my favorite philosophers, he was the wisest man in like Macedonia because he realized that he knew nothing and everyone else thought they knew everything. Engineering is very humbling because the more you learn, you know, you, you, you go into this niche and then you realize like, oh, I, there's, there's just this little tiny universe in every, um, you know, niche in engineering. And you could just spend your whole lifetime specializing in just like one part of say like mechanical engineering or structural engineering, very humbling. And, and what makes, what I feel like the wisest people realize that how much they don't know. So you're, you're more intelligent when, uh, you know, a certain amount, but yeah, the more you learn, the more you realize how much you don't know. Um, the, the, the finite knowledge we have is incomparable to the infinite knowledge of everything else in the universe. The wisest person has the least to say. And that's the thing is they're like, there's too much to learn here, you know, and it's, it's so true. And the, for your listeners, I mean, the one thing I would say, the, there's a great exercise called the seven wise. Um, yeah. Can you go up, through that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I sort of put it in the book. It's, it's quite common. You just need to Google seven wise, but it's a great way of stripping back to, you know, really what, what we've talked about here saying, uh, as an example, so I'll sort of my own example, I went through this whenever I was setting up my own podcast, you know, and, and so the fire in the belly and saying, well, why, you know, and, and this is the purpose of it going seven levels deep. So why would I want to set up the podcast? So why would I want to do it? So it's a chance to speak to amazing people. It gives me a chance to do all this. I go down, you know, why is that important to me? So, you know, why is it important to speak to people? Well, it's important to have deep conversations and learn new things and try new things. And, you know, and why is it important to, you know, have these deep conversations and learn new things? Because that makes me a better human being. Okay. Why is it important to be a better human being? It's like, because that's fulfilling my potential. And why is that important to me? Because that's what my parents wanted me to do. And why is it important you do what your parents want to do? Because I want to be loved. It was just, it was like this massive light bulb came on. And we can do that with every aspect of our life. Why do we do anything that we do? You know, so yeah. much of it is, it's symptom based, it's not cause. You know, it, it's any number of these things. You can say hurt people, hurt people. You know, why are we doing what we're doing? It's not, we're not doing it because of, you know, because it's something someone's irritated me or something else. It's we're doing it because actually it feeds back on our value chain, back to something, to an original thing. So ironically, me doing the show was because I want to be loved. And when we start to realize that, it was just a massive reset. And, you know, when you follow that and you follow the whole aspect of, you know, saying, I don't know, it's like, how... Tony, are we having this conversation or am I just having a really beautiful dream? I don't know. It could be yeah. either, but I'm just going to stay here. It's like, it's a, it's a beautiful conversation. I'm, I'm enjoying your company. I'm enjoying your energy. So yeah, does it matter? Is it real? Is it a dream? I don't know. My eyes tell me we're having it, but then my eyes, you know, that's, how do I know my eyes are telling the truth? How do I know any of this exists? You know, yeah. I don't know. But if I don't know if, and I re remove all the restrictions and the knowingness and the, you know, the outer me, well, then anything's possible. Mm. And suddenly, you know, because as you say, it's the engineering mind. The engineering mind is going, I see it. And if I can see it and I can feel it, then it's it's true. But yeah, yeah what, if, what if your brain is not telling you the truth? And what if your truth is not actually the real truth? You know, it's, it's somebody else's truth or it's, you know, and that... That I find beautiful. It's a, it can be a bit of a rabbit hole. I warn people, you know, when you start to get down, because you suddenly blow up people's, you know, everything they've lent on all their lives, all their values, their beliefs, they lean on that. And then suddenly you take those away and you, you get the rabbit in the headlight look. You know, I do it with a lot of my clients and you, you've got to work simultaneously. As much as you're breaking someone down, you've got to build them back up again. Because if you break, yeah. break it down without building back up, you'll leave a lot of people very lost and quite vulnerable. Yeah. But when you do the two together and saying, listen, what's really important to you right now? And I, I've seen it, you know, it's for a lot of people saying, I want 
want more property, I want more money and all this and all this. And then he's going, actually, you don't believe that. And I now do it with, with people as well. I love um, this guy, Dr. Bradley Nelson. He does the emotion code and he talks mm -hmm. about muscle testing. So I now bring it into a lot of my, my um, coaching work and um, people will say, yeah, this is what I really want. And then you ask the body and the body's like, nope. That's something I found with age. I can mm. no longer just push through. I can no longer say, listen, suck it up, get on with the work, just do the work. I know it mightn't be your thing, just get on with it. Now with age or tiredness or exhaustion or whatever else it is, it's saying I could say yes to somebody and literally my body goes, not doing it. I will procrastinate, wow. I will delay, I will distract, I will destroy, I'll do anything else. My body will just turn around and go and not doing it. We're not in alignment. And that's been a massive wake up call. So now it's going, you know, if my words don't match my actions, then I know I'm not in alignment. I, I don't need any counselor to tell me that. I can see it. It's like, look at my actions. Where am I showing up? Where am I not showing up? What am I saying? What am I doing? And if they're not in alignment, it's like going, we need to take ourselves aside and go and have a, a you know, deep chat with ourselves because something's not serving me. Does that make sense? That's real. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. You, usually what I, what I found is, you know, if you, if you're excited about something, um, you know, say for your job, if you're dragging your feet to get up every day versus you're just jumping out of bed with excitement and joy, whatever you do should give you energy. It should re-energize you kind of, you know, like similar to fire in the belly. So, so Pete question your business model, like your, you, you, you know, you do the mentorship, the coaching, can you describe the process start to finish. So let's say example, complete stranger meets you says, you know, I want to ignite fire in my belly. Mm -hmm. I want to like, just, you know, improve myself, be the strongest, mightiest version of myself. Can you describe the process start to finish and touch on some of the questions and examples, um, that you would ask clients? Yeah. I mean, well, thank you for the question. Um, there's loads. The first thing I would say to anyone is give them a really damn good listening to. So many people have not been listened to. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong, part of that is going to be ego. So I find the reason, because my interviews can be quite long. I mean, typically 90 minutes to two hours, to give you an idea. What I tend to find, and this is similar as well when you're dealing with clients, is the first half hour, 40 minutes, they're telling you what they know. You know, that's I've, I've repeated this answer before. I've said this, I know this, etc. And this is what I want you to hear. Okay, so that's the first 30 minutes, 40 minutes, etc. And a client will do that. You know, this is what, this is the story. You know, I need to tell you my story. Then what happens in the next sort of 30 minutes is we start to relax a bit and we kind of go, yeah, this guy, Tony, is a nice guy. I feel quite relaxed here. I'm okay. And this conversation's going well. I'm happy here. So we do, we literally sort of, we exhale a bit and go, okay, you know, and I'm okay. I feel safe here and this is fine. And then in the next half hour, what happens is we start to speak and think at the same speed. And quite often we speak mm -hmm. quicker than we think. So mm -hmm. as a result, you get people going, yeah, I wonder what that is. Or we say something really silly and go, no, I don't know why I said that. Right? It's that yeah. last half hour and you do it with clients because the first bit is being ego led. I want to do this. I think you should say that. I'm, you know, I want you to know that I am X, Y, Z, whatever. And then this bit when we're just wondering at the end, it's like, ah, eh, I wonder what that is. Funny, I hadn't thought about that before. And did you ever notice that? And suddenly we're actually, we're amusing ourselves. By doing that with a client, what happens then is that's the bit. I could almost, me personally, I could say, listen, if I heard nothing more than the last segment, when people are starting to wonder, starting to use their love language, you know, it's like, oh, I'd, I call it the love, but I'd love to do that. Yeah, yeah I'd love, love to do that. Yeah, but mm, my career gets in the way or whatever else. And I said, why? Let's, let's talk about that thing you mentioned. What did you love to do? Oh, I'd, I'd, I'd love to do it, but you know what? Oh, it's just, it's too much time. It's too much money, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so often people come to me saying, listen, I, I want to do this. That client recently, he's a great client, came to me, he wants to expand his, his uh, property portfolio and all the rest. And actually one of the questions I would ask anyone, and, I, and you know, I'd say it here now is, do you like yourself and do you love yourself? He's like, what's that got to do with it? It's like, if you don't like and love yourself, then you're working by somebody else's values. And he was, you know, his background was the more property he had, then the more significant he was in the family, you know, the more successful he was deemed to be, etc. 
you know, and he's sort of always wanting to externally get another course, get another mentor, get another book, get another, you know, go to another meeting, go all this. I said, well, what if you just didn't go to any of them and you just kind of did what you wanted to do today, even if it's take a day off? You know, because it's easy to get inspired and motivated by anyone, mm-hmm. but it's very challenging and very difficult or different to get transformed. Mm. And as a coach, I think it's a huge responsibility. I can inspire someone to come away and go, yeah, it's brilliant. I must have really enjoyed that chat with that guy. Next week is like, well, how are you getting on? What, what was my homework again? What was I to do? Mm. Just wears off. Motivation, inspiration wears off. Yeah. It's lovely at the time. It's a short fix. It's like eating a bag of chips or whatever, you know, it's just, yeah, yeah, it's great. But then boom. Whereas the transformation is when somebody goes, holy moly, my life has changed. I'm, I've just quit my job. I've done this. I've done this. And I'll let you, you go, whoa, 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 keep, let me keep up with me. Keep up. <laughs> and by finding out what people's love language is, finding out where they're naturally stopping themselves, asking those questions, you know, what would be really important in your life? You know, and, and I, I do a lot of future visualization. So I'll give you mm. an example here is where I saying to people, take me forward five years and you need to go five years because the ego is still involved. But take me forward at least five years or to your next significant birthday. So I'm 43. I go five years. Actually, tell you what, take me to 50. Take me to your 50th birthday. Shut your eyes. Just really want you to go through here and just take me. Where are you? And suddenly your imagination takes me to a party or takes me somewhere. What, what do you see around you? I can see, you know, these people. What can you smell? What can you taste? Mm. What can you touch? So we're employing all the five senses in the future self. And so then what we're doing is we're actually, you know, we're building this amazing future visualization of ourselves to the point it's so detailed. I'm like, literally, and you see people come away confused going, is that, is that real? Or is that, did I imagine that? I actually can't. It's, there's so much detail in my future vision that I'm not sure. Well, then what we've done is we painted such a strong picture that the brain says, well, it must be true because I can see it, smell it, taste it, touch it hear it. And that's what we're doing. So then what we're trying to do, instead of living our past and the future, we're actually living our future now. And that's so powerful. And when you know you're on the right path, when people are excited, when they're literally, they're motivated, their energy levels are higher, their speaking volumes higher, you know, that they're actually using their love language. I'd love to do this and we could try this and we could try this. So that as a coach is what I'm listening to. Why want to see what's, what's really turning them on what's going through. And it's, it's, I struggle with, you know, when people sort of saying, you know, if I've come up with the idea, then it's not my idea. You know, it's not, it's, it's no good to them because it's mine. I, I don't mm. know your life. I don't know what motivates you, Tony. You know, I would literally need to live your life to be able to fully and properly understand you. Yeah. So then all I can do is be the best listener I can be. Really hear what you're saying, not the physical words, as the poet says, you know, words are perfectly imperfect, but that's all we have. So that's when we need to go through and say, listen, tell me what you're feeling, tell me what you're sensing and put the best words that you can around it. And then well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to look for your response in your body language. I'm going to look for response in, in the actions, have the words that you've said and the actions you've taken, are they matching? You know, and are you excited? Are you, you know, yes, fearful, but fearful with excitement. Does that make yeah. sense? Have I understood? Uh, yeah, it, it makes sense. Yeah. Well, so what are some of the questions that you would like, you know, if you could get into more details, like uh, that you would like ask these clients, I'm, you mentioned like the seven why exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really deep one. Always questioning why. Um, <clears throat> is there any, any other, like any other questions that kind of trigger people? I, I we, we kind of covered through a lot. Um, of the questions you asked, but is there any more? Yeah, I mean, there's loads, but I mean, one is what does success look like for you? Mm -hmm. And it's different. You know, for some people it might be, you know, a a large amount of money or whatever. You then need to then, because that's on a very superficial conscious level, we then need to know why that's important. You know, going through, because people say, well, listen, lots of money. It's like, okay, well, money's just paper, plastic, metal, right? So, yeah doesn't do anything so what is it that money will actually give you or how's it going to make you feel so going through that then even saying to people you know what you know what's a guilty pleasure for you that's which is always really interesting i have you know some of the people and they're quite serious people you know the interview and saying what's your guilty pleasure and i tell you what normally comes up 
what normally comes up? Beer, wine, chocolate, sitting in front of a TV, chilling out, whatever. It's always mm. that something. And you can see literally this sort of, this little almost childlike smirk come on the face. And then you say to him, you know, what do you do for leisure and pleasure? And 90% of the time, it's something to do with water. You know, it's that in the shower, it's on the sea, in the sea, looking at the sea, by the sea, by the lake, whatever else it is. The other extreme is up the mountain. It's never more TV, working hard or anything else. You know, so it's 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 getting getting people around because quite often any client will come to you, they're very fixed vision. I want to expand my business, do all this. Like, but why? It's the same question I had back when I'd lost my father. It's going, okay, yeah, you get your next promotion, then you get your next pay rise, and you get your bigger house, and you do this and do this. But why? What, what for? You know, so, okay, you want a bigger car? Okay, what then? Well, then I get a bigger pension. Yeah. Okay, what then? What are you doing with it? What's, what's the point? What is your point? You know, uh, there was a show ages ago called Midnight Caller. Can't remember. But anyway, it was, he would say, you know, he'd come on and say, what's your point, caller? What is your point? Yeah. It's so true in all our lives. We say things, we do things, our actions we take, the actions we don't take, you know. And I'd say to anyone, you know, become a master quitter. Become a master quitter and quit doing the shit and the stuff that you really don't care about where you're doing it because mommy or daddy thinks I should be good at this or my next door neighbor said or, you know, people say I'm good at it. You know, don't live a life of goodness. Live a life of absolute excellence. You know, live a life yeah. of, you know, where there's fire in your belly and passion in your heart. You know, it's like, do you know what? We're going to blink and we're all out of here. So what do yeah. you want to do? Take a choice. Yeah, no, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I think, what is it? Um, <clears throat> the Marcus Aurelius, uh, his book Meditations, uh, touches on like kind of the, the shortness of life, you know, one generation is born, another one passes. It's just the, you know, the, the interval between birth and death is so short. Pete, um, just a few more questions for you. Can you talk about um, your book, um, Be Heard, uh, To Be Rich, Listen to Your Inner Genius? Like, what is that about? And, you know, how, how can the audience benefit from that? Like, how do you activate? Um, how do you listen to your inner genius? So there's a number of things. I mean, the interesting thing I found about it was this was previously, this was how I ended up getting into deep conversations. Because a lot of people said to me, you know, you've spoken to so many people and you've done all this, you know, do you want to kind of do like a tribe of mentors or a, you know, sort of a chicken soup for the soul type book, you know, whereby you compile the stories. But then people going to me, it's like, you kind of make a lot of people cry. It's like, how do you do that? Well, it's like, I just told you stuff that I've told nobody else. How do you do that? And I'm like going, I don't know. It's just, just ask a question, right? It's not, not that difficult. Right? Um, that's something I happen to be an unconscious competent about. You know, just going, well, that's, that's an obvious question. If I'm truly listening to you, then that's an obvious question for me. And that's what I wanted to get across in the book was, you know, being heard to be rich. It's like it's all well and good you know, listening to other people, listening to what other people say, getting other people's opinion. But it's like actually it's listening to yourself. You know, what motivates me? What really sort of turns me on? What really is my thing? And not, not something that I think I'm good at or people go, God, you're, Tony, you're amazing at doing this. You should do this all your life. And then the ego says, hmm, sounds good. I might do that all my life. But then you go on, you know, in, in NLP, they talk about, you know, they talk about parts. And anytime you're listening to a conversation, listen to someone saying, you know, if they're trying to make a decision of someone, they say, part of me wants to do this and part of me wants to do that. And you kind of go, Wow. You have just displayed that you have an inner conflict. Part of you thinks you should take that job. And the other part of you says, I should tell them to stuff the job and go off and, you know, start a whole new career. Is NLP, does that mean neuro-linguistic? Neuro-linguistic okay. programming. Okay. So that's, yeah. It's basically, a, it's a bit of a science behind the actions, what we do, everything from mm. our movements, our words, our, you know, what we do and how we, you know, how we're programmed. Because we are all programmed. So that's one thing I've learned is everything we do is a reaction to something. Hmm. You know, the reason why I, you know, I do what I do is because actually it's serving a need or a value of me in some shape or form. And you might say, 
no, no, I'm just being myself. It's like, yeah, but even being yourself is a response to something. It's either trying to fulfill something or to give me more pleasure or do something. So everything in my life is a motivation from something or to something, you know, so it's, it's going through, you know, really what's going on and, you know, how that's going to happen um, and how we respond. And, you know, how we respond into life, how we respond to everything that's going on, you know. So when we start to learn that and we hear our own language, because quite often, I mean, I can't always see my own truth. I need other people to point that out for me. And, you know, mm -hmm. vice versa, I do that for other people and saying, do you realize you just referred to yourself in seven different ways? You know, that's something I've put in the book there so people can learn and say, when people say to me, it's like, I think we should do that, um, you know, and when I'm doing that for myself, you know, then I decide that my decision should be something else. So I've called myself I, we, my, myself. You know, it's like, why, why have you just referred to yourself in different ways? It's, that sounds really weird. You know, and then even people will go on a third party and saying, Tony thinks I should do this. You know, if I was to do what Tony says, then, and you're like, what's this? Why are you, why are you needing to refer to yourself in different ways? How about you just go, I feel or I sense that this is not good for me. Or I feel or sense yeah. that actually, yeah, it's something I'd like to do. So um, NLP language is beautiful for that. And I think just understanding ourselves and just listening that's kind of what I wanted to get across in the book is just really gently just send to people, honestly, the, you know, and I've been on my fair share of courses. I've looked for external validation. I've looked for the certificate. I've looked for, um, you know, everything as we do the next course, the next thing, the next program, the next book, the next, whatever, until you realize like, hold on, the one common entity that keeps turning up for this and either liking the books or loving the programs or hating the programs or liking the book is me. I'm the person that is the consistent entity here. And, you know, why is it, what is it the saying is saying, uh, you know, I can, I can see a, um, I can see a splinter in my neighbor's eye, but I can't see the tree in my own. Something yeah, Jesus said say, that, yeah. You know, a log in your own. Yeah. Mm. So you're the common entity. What about if you just took the time for you and said, okay, you know, am I being the best that I can be? You know, before I pass comment on others, can I pass comment on myself? Um, and that's hard because the ego goes, but I'm perfect. What are you talking about? How could I, <laughs> my truth is, my truth is right. Everyone else is completely wrong. So it's putting your ego in question. And that's why I love that seven way exercise. That's why I love this question of going, how do you know, you know, how do we know we're having this conversation? Well, my eyes, my ears tell me that we're having this conversation, but how do you know your eyes and your ears are telling you the right thing? Cause they mm -hmm. also, they play pictures for you while you're dreaming. Uh, okay, that's true. Yeah, but my, my brain sees it. Okay, well, how do you know your brain's telling the truth? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Okay, now we have a blank canvas, and from a blank canvas, we can create a masterpiece. And that's, that's the beautiful. Thing. Even if you just blow up people's truths, it's like, well, that that's the way it is. Is it? How do you know? Yeah. And we suddenly remove the truth, then other things become possible. Wow. I love that. That's, I love how you you put that into to words. Now we have a blank canvas. Now we, we can build a masterpiece. Yeah. So Pete, just a couple, just two more questions for you, and then uh, uh, we'll, we'll you know we'll end the the show. For you, what would you say the meaning of life is? Um, I'm going to coin somebody else here, and um, from the book. Uh, Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, and the clues in the title. The meaning of life is to have meaning in your life. And I just, I find that so beautiful and so profound. You know, it's like, if you have meaning in your life, you have meaning and purpose for yourself. You know, my, my four soul values, not core values, and core values are on a higher level, soul values are on a deep level, are love, service, growth, and, con and connection. So I think if you've meaning in your life, for me, that's doing things in a loving way, doing things where you can grow, doing things where you can serve and be service to yourself and to others and connecting, genuinely connecting, you know, going deep, not wide. There's a beautiful Ted talk out there. You know, people, and they talk about that and saying, I don't need 5,000 Facebook friends. I just want five friends that I really connect with. I really hear them. 
I don't mm. just listen to them, I hear them. And, you know, we cry together, we laugh together, we have this deep, beautiful connection. And that's the one thing I'd say in anyone's life. If you can have depth in your life, depth of experience, depth of anything else, then is that not the richest life we can have? Beautiful, right? Very beautiful. Mankind's search for meaning. Definitely have to read that book. And Pete, just, you know, one, uh, one more question for you. If you could talk to, you're still a young guy, but if you could talk to your younger self, what would you tell your younger self? Say 17, 18 year old Pete. It's an interesting one, right? What I have listened is the question. I could talk to him, but would it, would I listen? Would he listen? Yeah. It's, it, I think for a lot of people I'd say is just, you know, listen to your inner truth. I mean, just, just being, being as connected to yourself as you can be. I don't know that I would have heard it. It's a weird one. You know, it was all well and good saying something, but if someone's not listening and they're not hearing it, then, um, you know, it's, 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 it's that. But the other thing is just saying, listen, you are a mighty human being. And I can just hope that I would have heard it, you know, and, and sometimes that's the joy. That's the joy of the, the journey. It's like, you know, here's a question for you. What if this is all just a massive dress rehearsal? What if this, like mm. literally the, the, the curtain's going to come up someday. And actually this was just the dress rehearsal to it, that actually this is to, to give me my best performance. You know, all the pain I've been through is, is intentional. Everything that's happened has happened for a reason. It hasn't happened to me. It's happened for me. Hmm. Um, what if actually the curtain's going to rise someday and it's going, you are now ready. It took that entire life of dress rehearsal for all the highs and the lows to make you the spectacular human being that you are. It's not even a human. You're just a being. So who knows what I have listened. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe you, that's the thing too. I, I, I ask myself that question as well. And I'm like, I probably wouldn't have listened because I wouldn't have been ready. You know, the consciousness wasn't there yet at that, yeah. at that stage. So I, yeah. I really like your answer. I, I resonate with that. This is kind of like, um, for me, this was funny, but I saw like an Instagram post one time and it was, uh, it was a picture of an alien, like hitting a bong and, and it was like, what if, you know, you, you wake up one day and you, you look around and, you know, you have like whatever in front of you and you look at all your f alien friends and they, and like, you know, when you, sorry, when you die, it's just a funny joke. Um, but when you die, you wake up, you wake up and you're an alien holding like a bong or whatever. And you look around and your friends ask you. Hey, hey, man! Like, how was that trip? And and it's just like you know, just mind blowing. Because I, I mean, I, I am a Christian by nature, but I also, um, you know, I, I realize through an engineer, you experience the world through your your five senses, and also maybe your sixth sense would be like your your gut feeling, whatever that may be. Just that that feeling of something gonna happen, good or bad or whatever. And it's just like, well, how do you know those are uh, those senses are valid, you know, mate, uh, in the matrix when, uh, I forgot, uh, he, qu uh, Morpheus questions, Neo, like what is real, the electrical <laughs> yeah. impulses that you're, you know, like I'm, you know, you're feeling, you're seeing all the visual auditory, um, sensory inputs. Um, if that's, what's real to you, you know, then it gets to brain in a vat theory and then Descartes, it, 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 there's a giant rabbit hole, but I, I won't keep that. But, um, Pete, is there anything else you'd like to get out there to the audience? Any last comments? Anything else? I think it's really just, you know, encouraging people to just live a life of purpose and, and say, listen, find your zone of genius. I, I genuinely think we are all an absolute genius and we all have fire in the belly. It's not for everything, just for some things in life. Some things in life we are just naturally we're on a frequency to do certain things. And for some people that might be standing on stage for other people, it might be the book that they need to write or whatever else it is. And it's like going, be a master quitter, quit doing the stuff that doesn't serve you. Do the stuff that, you know, really that you sense and you feel really good about, you know, it's like if we did nothing more than did the things that feel good to us, feel right for us, 
we would be in a whole different zone in our lives. You know, don't don't base anything on what you think or you know. You know that's typically ego based. It's like what feels good. It feels good to me. You know, make your decisions based on that. And uh, that in itself is life changing. You know, taking time for yourself. I for so long I didn't until I literally got so lost that I you know had to stop and really take some significant time out. You know, there's a price to pay for everything. There's no doubt about that. And you decide: is it worth the cost? Yeah. In engineering, there's a saying, right? You probably know, but there's no such thing as a free lunch. <laughs> there's always a price. I, I tell my wife that all the time. In anything you do, whether it's uh, you know work, uh, bodybuilding, whatever it is, whatever the hell it is, good or bad, there is always a price for that. Yeah, yeah and it's, it, it is so true, you know. And I think a lot of what we do also, it's it's based on you know we're working on the symptoms when actually we need to yeah. focus on what's the cause, you know. And until you do that, um, that that's huge, you know. But I mean, to close off on your final point, and I think it's, it's lovely, and there's a, there's a parable you can look up, and it's a bit of a poem slash story, and it's about two twins in the womb. And the twins in the womb are talking to each other. You're saying, this is a lovely place, isn't it? We're in here, we're in this womb, and it's all very nice. And then they start chatting. You're saying, do you think there's, there's, there's life after womb? One of them's like, no, there couldn't be life after womb. I'm perfectly happy here. Why would there be life after womb? And the other one says, mm -hmm. well, maybe, maybe there's something more. And it's beautiful. I encourage anyone to go read the story. And it's like, well, maybe that's it. Maybe we are in this rehearsal. Maybe there's something more after this. Maybe, I don't know. But staying open to the opportunity, staying open to the possibilities and just saying, well, what if? You know, what if, you know, not, that's the beauty of any future visualization. What if your, your purpose, your intention here is to be more? What if you are designed to have that painful experience in your life? because that's the trigger to actually to help you to wake up to the next thing. So instead of saying, you know, things are happening to me, it's like, what if they're happening for me? What if I was just to listen to the signs? What if I was to listen to what felt good for me, as opposed to doing what I think I should do? So life's full of opportunities. That's beautiful. I think we'll, we'll end on that one.